You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Physics. I'm Charles Xavier. Would you like some breakfast? Where am I? Westchester, New York. You were attacked. My people brought you here for medical attention. I don't need medical attention. Yes, of course. Where's the girl? Rogue? She's here. She's fine. Really? Ah, Logan. I'd like you to meet Aurora Monroe, also called Storm. This is Scott Summers, also called Cyclops. They saved your life. I believe you've already met Dr. Jean Grey. You're in my school for the gifted, for mutants. You'll be safe here from Magneto. What's a Magneto? A very powerful mutant who believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. I've been following his activities for some time. The man who attacked you is an associate of his called Sabretooth. Sabretooth? Storm. What do they call you? Wheels? <laughs> this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Cyclops, right? You want to get out of my way? Welcome to the 602 Club, uh, Trek FM's general geek show. I'm so excited to be here as we're going to start on a new journey tonight. Uh, we'll be talking about the X-Men franchise. Now, we've already covered some of the X-Men films before. Uh, we've covered the most of the Wolverine films. We have re- uh, actually covered... Um, X-Men Apocalypse, but there's a new X-Men coming out later this year and thought, you know what, might be fun to go back and revisit uh, some of the older X-Men films and get ready for that. Uh, We are going to cover every single one. Basically, I pretty much think we're just going to skip three. Um, Unless there's a huge outcry for us to talk about three, then let us know. Uh, You can do that by hitting us up on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. You can also find us on iTunes at iTunes.com slash TrekFM. While you're there, give the 602 Club a star rating and review. Let us know what you think of the show and help other people find us. Uh, you could write us an email. Go over to Trek.fm slash contact. Choose the show. Choose the 602 Club, and that'll come straight to me and any of the hosts on that week. Uh, and if you really want to hear us talk about X-Men 3, let us know. Um, and last but not least, we've got the Babel Conference, which is the listeners-only discussion group. And that is a perfect place uh, to be able to let us know under this uh, show through. Um, you'll go to Facebook, type Babel into the search field, and you can find the group. Or if you're on our website at trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the menu bars, and it would bring you right over. And um, to do this, uh, really excited. Um, I've known this guy in podcasting for a while, but we've never actually done a show before. And so I'm welcoming to the 602 Club for the first time, Sean Eastridge. Hello, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to do this finally. And I just want to say, 
I'm really glad we are going to be skipping X-Men 3 or that you're going to be skipping X-Men 3 because it was written in my contract. I would not appear on this episode or to talk about X-Men at all if we were going to do that movie because I have such a strong disdain for that film. But I am very excited to talk about this one. Well, you know, um, I, I think that many people do who saw it now. I mean, is it the worst film ever? No. But is it a good movie? No. <laughs> do we really want to sit through that again? No. Why, why would we do that? Oh, I don't think it's a good idea. No, it's not good for your health. No. It's not good for, for anybody. I think when you, whenever someone watches that film, it's the opposite of every time a bell rings. An angel loses its wings. I, every I think time you're absolutely right. X-Men yeah, 3. a mutant loses its powers is what happens um, every time that you watch that. <laughs> Even worse. <Yeah. laughs> Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because we, you know, we talked about uh, Wolverine, uh, the Wolverine, and you know mm. that film is the only one that really uses the continuity from uh, X Men Three, The Last Stand. And they are the only ones who actually make that mean anything by using that as this where they thrust, (laughs) you know, Wolverine into, you know, his depression and everything. And it's great. I I mean, I like that movie. And and if you want to kind of hear us talk a little bit about uh, that, you can hit over um, to our show on the Wolverine. But in the end, can I go do that right now or should I stay here? Yeah, you can stay here. Um but um, yeah, it's it's not a movie that really. Meant okay, I'll much. stay. I'll stay. Okay. But I'll listen to that later. Okay, good. Um, but I wanted to ask you something because I feel like the context of the original X Men movie is something that we need to think back on because back in two thousand, the state of comic book movies was pretty different. Um, and mm. I think that the Batman almost franchise, an understatement. Yeah, I, I no, I think you're right. It is an understatement, but. Partially, I think, well, maybe we could lay it all at the feet of Batman and Robin um, for taking comic books yeah. <laughs> to a pretty... It kind of, it kind of killed the game yeah, for everybody. Absolutely. Um, and I, because, I mean, think about this. I was looking at the list of comic book movies that came out from Marvel, DC, and just otherwise. And between the, the release of Batman and Robin... And other films, I think the only one that I really saw there was like Steel came out um, with Shaq. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Steel with Shaq. Okay, I take everything back. The superhero movie. Let's go back to Steel. We should be talking about Steel right now. <laughs> that paved the way for the entire universe of superhero films that followed. There is none greater. But uh no, I I mean it was really all we had was like animated shows. Like you had like the animated Batman series, the animated Superman series, and uh as far as the big screen went, it was not so great. I mean, you had Blade. Blade was some people cite Blade as kind of the precursor for the superhero genre picking back up, but it was very much kind of a a genre film. I don't I know technically it is a comic book film. I don't know if I'd count it in the realm of like big budget superhero movies. Well, I think you have a point there because, you know, with Blade, uh, I think it's something that was kind of niche even for comic book fans, right? And so it's not something that really captures a main audience. You know, it's not going to be a Batman or Superman or, you know, like Captain America or something like people know but without having been in the yeah. comic book world. And so, you know, I, I think there's a there's a real lull then of what are we going to do with comic book movies? And, and then Brian Singer comes in with this idea 
well, why don't we make this? Why don't we change this? Let's make this a more grounded feel. Let's make it feel like it can happen. And, and mm. you know, I, I feel as though if, if we don't get X-Men, I don't know if that we get something like the Dark Knight down the road. No, I don't. I I think that's completely valid. I, I mean, X Men, X Men is what re-legitimized this genre because, like you said, we were in a wasteland in the '90s, and and superheroes had kind of, even you know, you had you had Christopher Reeve Superman, you had Superman two, and then that franchise kind of nosedived, and then you had Tim Burton come along to kind of revive it a little bit with Batman and Batman Returns, but then again, that nosedived and. Even those movies, there was there as as genuine and as serious as they were. There's kind of a camp factor to them. So for for Brian Singer to come along and kind of say at this time where where superheroes were definitely not being taken seriously, they were not seen as like a, a profitable industry at all. For him to come along and say, you know, not only do I want to do this, but like I'm going to do it like seriously, and it's going to be like a serious drama with real characters, you're going to believe in what's happening, that's like, I mean, I, I have a feeling it was probably the same, he probably got the same reaction Donner did when people were kind of talking about like, oh yeah, Superman, let's make him jokey and, and fun, and he was like, well, let's, let's, we should take him seriously, and we need to honor the source material, and I mean, I think it paid off, I, I think without X-Men, you wouldn't have had the same success for, with Spider-Man, which really launched yeah. the superhero genre by making a hundred million in a weekend, breaking like pretty much every record. But it, it it's absolutely true. I, I don't think you get something like The Dark Knight without someone like Brian Singer kind of paving the way for it and saying this is what the genre can do if you take it seriously, if you honor it while also not being beholden to the source material because X-Men if there's anything comic book fans can get upset about with the first X-Men movie and with the, the franchise in general it's that it's never quite followed its comic book roots as far as there there are elements there there are characters that you can recognize and they are uh, they carry the same traits but at the same time a lot of the stories a lot of the interactions a lot of the way people meet each other is very different um but i think that's kind of exciting and i i like that singer kind of was like let's just make the movie stand on its own on its own story you don't have to be a fan to understand what's going on this is going to be the way we do it i think that's brilliant well i think that one of the things that when, when you think about it in that sense you're not pigeonholing it into the comic book genre where you have to be a geek to to come and watch this and i think that's the other thing that i feel like um these the x-men films do is that by creating the film version universe of the characters um and the fact that this is the film version of rogue or wolverine or you know any of these mm. characters um you differentiate and so you allow people who don't know the comics to come in and learn what they need to learn about these characters here on the screen without feeling like they're missing something and i think you know that's a that's a smart way to go because yes like you said you honor the comic books by putting in references or maybe you combine a couple of different characters. Gosh, there, how many X-Men are there? Um, so you can't get them all on screen. <laughs> there are at least I think 50 million, 50 million at yeah. last count. So, 
there that's a really hard thing to do um to get all those characters on the screen so you might take certain traits from other characters like um taking traits from Kitty Pride and Jubilee and kind of putting them in with Rogue's personality so that you kind of have more right. reference there on screen of those other characters even if they're not there and you can either like that or hate yeah. it but I think Singer was definitely doing it as a way to say hey we like this material too um, we can't get everybody on screen, but we want you to know if you love that character, we loved them too, and there are there was a part of them that we wanted to have on screen there. Exactly, and every character serves a dramatic purpose. Like Rogue, you you know the whole mutant phenomenon in this movie. It, it could be a metaphor for uh, for for gay people it can be a metaphor for civil rights it can be a metaphor for a disease like aids or something you know it could be a metaphor for so many things which is part of why it had such a lasting legacy and why it was so iconic when it first came out but uh rogue in particular was so representative of kind of the the negative aspects of that and in the comics and you know in the cartoon show as many people know her she's kind of a super powered hero and she's kind of running around punching people and being awesome but in the movie as a dramatic device it really serves the story to have this character who almost more so than any other character in this film is the one who has this curse that she doesn't know how to handle. She can't touch right. anybody. Yeah. She can't be intimate with someone without hurting them. Like it's a very uh it, it works in the narrative of this film. And I get that people might be like, oh, but that's not rogue in the comics. But it's like in the context of the film, in developing the relationship with her and and Wolverine, it just it really works to have her be scared and and to need that kind of mentorship and to need somebody to care for her and to not be afraid of her because she's so scared of what's going on around her yeah and i think that's again this is the thing you know i think singer sees you know uh the the comic book landscape and he finds a way to create something different so when we think of a comic book movie we don't automatically think uh, just camp we're gonna think hopefully something that yeah. elevates it into another place which is the same thing you know again which we all praise something like the dark knight for which it, it transcends the genre you know this is i think the beginning of that of of saying um let's transcend the genre now there's been a backlash to that a little bit and saying well let's just embrace the comic mm. book ness of things which we also live in a completely di different world than we did in 2000. I mean, 18 years later, and however many right. comic book movies we've had, the the geek has won, um, and the geek kind of rules the universe right now, <laughs> at least when it comes to media. And so there's much more familiarity with those characters, but there wasn't then. And so this sets you on that path to be able to get to the place where everybody accepts comic books and comic book characters as like, the I Ching of film these days, you know? Yeah, and it's funny that you mentioned that, how now everyone is so comfortable with with goofiness in their superhero movies. We're, we're comfortable with camp now. I mean, a certain level of camp. Not mocking the heroes, but, like, we can laugh with them instead of at them. Like, you know, things like like Spider-Man Homecoming or Thor Ragnarok that are or Guardians of the Galaxy that are way more lighthearted than anything that would have been allowed at this point in time when X-Men was released. And it's funny to go back and watch the first X-Men because it's so 
simplistic sounds negative, but it is. It's so simple and right. straightforward, and it's almost there's humor to it. There are jokes, and there there are genuine moments of of humor to it, but. It's almost like it's afraid to be funny. It's like it is so deadly serious. I mean, it opens with a recreation of the Holocaust for crying right. out loud. It is begging you to take it seriously. Like it, it is it, it was like Singer was so determined to be like, this is serious and you will you will believe this is happening and that it is a comic book movie can be taken seriously that it almost it's not a negative thing, but. I don't know. Did you feel that? I mean, it, it is funny watching it and feeling like this feels kind of more like a, a, a small scale drama than it does a superhero movie. At yeah, times. you know, I think that's something that's really interesting because um, the the storyline for this movie is very interesting. The the fact, like you said, you get this much more, um, I guess, drama based, character based study. Mm of these people like it, it, and I think that's the the genius of what Singer does here now uh, with recent uh, things about Brian Singer we're not here to praise Brian Singer's personal life we're just talking about his work here right. on <laughs> yes. I just want to make that clear to everybody who's listening we're not we're not talking about that we're just talking yeah, about that's the work a, that's a whole other can Absolutely. of worms so I just yeah. wanted you to know as we talk about this this has nothing to do with us um, you know uh you know, being a uh, saying it's appropriate any of the things that he's been accused of. So, just wanted you to know. Um, mm. But I, I think that the genius here for the story is that this film finds its focus point with a few different characters, and and then lets you live the story through them. And so, as they learn things, you learn things as the audience, and. You know, with the animated show being popular, Wolverine became one of the most popular. And then, like we already talked about a little bit, Rogue, they're both the outsiders who come in and learn about what this whole X-Men thing's about. And I think I think that's just the smartest part of this is because through that, you allow the drama to come because what's happening, like you said, there are funny moments in this film. The humor is really well done. But it's organic to what's happening in the story. And I, to me, that's where I think humor works the best in, in comic book films because that's honestly the way most of the time it works in a comic book. Um, and so I... Yeah, I, it's yeah, true. It's, you, have to, you have to walk a fine line. Right. And so I, I think you're absolutely right. You get this um, weighty, meaty story because like you said, you start with the Holocaust. Um and you're using that as a springboard to show how <laughs> it does not get more serious. No, than that. <laughs> it does not. It does not. I mean, and it's such a moving scene, and it's it's one that'll be replayed a few times throughout the the, the X Men series. Um, but it's a moving yeah. scene because it 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 shows us where we're going to go in the story uh, and how. Um, we're we're showing the differentiation uh, between the different types of people that live on the earth, the mutant and the non-mutant, and how people treat what's different. Mm. And, and the way this movie sets up its story, I think, is amazing. Because, like you said, you yeah, add it, immediate weight, but you also you allow for those moments of levity when they come in. It's just it's it's a really I think it's a kind of like a masterclass in just writing a good story. Yeah, and it's great because you're also introducing 
Magneto, not as Magneto, but as Eric Lynscher, a, a young boy who's terrified, and these powers manifest. And you you plant the seed without. I mean, you it's a it's a powerful way to open a film, but you also plant the seed for his his fear, or not necessarily his fear, but his anger and his resentment of of humans of Homo sapiens comes from seeing firsthand what happens when a a, a person or a group of people who think they are superior to others are in control and have power over others and abuse that power. So his motivation is completely understandable. It's not, I want to take over the world and I want to blow up the city. Or, you know, no, it's not anything so intangible as that or as goofy as that, as we kind of have seen in like old James Bond movies or uh, pretty much every superhero movie up to that point. It is a very human, like, I want to bring them to our level i want to show them that they're no better than us and he has a very personal motivation behind it and then as to the characters i think uh like you said wolverine is such a popular character and it became kind of a running joke throughout this franchise that oh my god is he what are there no other x-men is he the only x-men that we can have a movie about but i think at least with this first movie he's probably the best character you could have to be your entry point to this world because he is skeptical of everything and it makes it easy for the audience who's already skeptical like who's like okay a superhero movie i don't know it's perfect like the scene where uh where where professor x is first introducing him to cyclops and everyone he's like this is cyclops and this is storm yes. and he's like oh yeah and what do they call you wheels it's basically letting the audience like know like yes we realize it's ridiculous through wolverine i think that's a brilliant that was a brilliant move to have him be the audience surrogate because he's automatically kind of the coolest guy because he just mm -hmm. doesn't care but uh mm -hmm. it makes it easier for us to buy the more absurd things like that because we are seeing it through his perspective yeah and i like what you're saying there because in the story they found a way to wink at the camera that doesn't take you out of the movie mm -hmm. you know and 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 as you're saying it's, that it, it's 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 making me realize that they've just found the way to do serious and also a serious comic book movie, but also say that we understand uh, that this could seem silly if you don't go with us. Yeah, I think that's that's a brilliant move yeah. on their part, and the fact that it works just shows how well they understood their story, so that you didn't feel pulled out of that moment. It felt like a character moment for Wolverine instead of oh hey wink wink guys we know you just go with us you know. Right, exactly. So you're not feeling – the audience is kind of like they're being introduced to the world. Like you said, people don't necessarily know what this is. They don't know what's what Cyclops, what Storm. So Wolverine reacting in that way, the audience is it, – it's almost like a, a, the audience can breathe a sigh of relief in that moment. Like, oh, okay, good. So this movie's not going to leave me behind. It's not going to make me feel stupid for not knowing this. And I'm – it's okay for me to laugh at it. But uh, um, you're again – you're laughing with it. You're not laughing at it. And I, I, the subtle humor throughout this movie, like I said, it's not overtly jokey. It's almost uncomfortable with with too many jokes. There are a couple near the end when it gets a little bit more superhero-y and they're out and they're joking around in the Statue of Liberty. But uh, speaking of which, because that's you know the big action climax, but it's funny just thinking about it, like how the movie kind of doles out the action. It, it, it's very... 
slow paced it you know you have the scene with magneto at the beginning where it's not really an action scene he just demonstrates his powers but really the earliest action scene is just like a, a two minute cage fight with wolverine that is like literally like he all he does is kind of headbutt a guy and and knock him on his his butt but it's funny how they the movie kind of builds to the action nowadays you know you feel like you have to have all right we've got to hook them we need to have like a, a 10 minute action sequence at the beginning the audience isn't ready they, they don't we have to make sure they're paying attention otherwise they're going to get bored it's kind of amazing how there was a time you forget about it when a superhero movie could just breathe and it could just tell its story and the action could kind of come from that and uh you you get the feeling just watching some of these sequences that brian singer isn't fully comfortable with the action that it, it feels sometimes it feels a little like okay now we're gonna do a special effects moment and here's the wire work it's very similar with sam raimi's first spider-man yeah movie. you can yeah. kind of tell they're sort of testing the waters and then when the second ones came around they're much more comfortable and they're in their element but it is funny how kind of quaint some of the action feels in this movie and there's a little bit of like they're trying to there's a little bit of slow motion and some matrixy stuff in this movie it is it's funny to watch it because some of the stuff feels dated but at the same time i i was more taken aback just by how strong the movie still holds up because despite that despite the limited action despite the kind of dated special effects and sometimes cheesiness of the action the movie still works as a story and and that that is it's refreshing kind of in the, this era where we're being bombarded with with franchise and cinematic universes to have just a standalone superhero story that doesn't need to bombard you with effects to, to get its point across. Well, and I think that's one of the things that, again, this story just does well. I think that the uh, I think that Singer and everybody involved with the story here understand that you need to care about these characters first and. Uh, Otherwise, the action doesn't matter. And I think they that's something that they actually learned. You know, um, Richard Donner is a producer on this movie. Uh, and his wife also worked on the movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that early superhero movies did very well. Because the special effects weren't going to be awesome, right? So you needed to care about the character mm. so that when they were doing those things, you could would let it go. And even here in 2000, we're still in a place where it's it's uh, the things that we're going to try to do are going to be new. Um, and we want you to care about the character so that you care about what they're doing that's cool. You know what? The funny thing is, is that it's not changed at all, but Hollywood sometimes acts like it's changed, like all that we care about is the special effect. Yeah. But... I don't care about CGI, whatever it is, you know, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Superman, whatever, doing whatever they're doing if I don't care about the character. And so, you know, exactly. I think that's one of the reasons that you get this setup that's long, protracted setup here with very little big action that's happening um, until you really start to care about who these people are. And I think the story just does such a good job with that so that, like you said, this movie, I feel like, holds up. Part of that is because they didn't go overblown with the CGI. Um, because they, I think they realized they weren't quite ready for most of that yet. So a lot of the work <laughs> yeah. that they do here is still very practical. And then when they are using CGI, it's a, it really is the extension work that, you know, like... 
when um, the senator is hanging out of the, the uh, cave because he's plopped through the, the window, mm, right, you know? Right, right. That looks pretty real because it's really just a CGI extension with probably real waves at the bottom and everything all stitched together. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And then there's there's so much of that in this movie and there's there's a lot of it it is really cool to see again this is the superhero movies right on the cusp, you know, we're right at the 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 cusp of the 21st century. We're just kicking it off. And effects-heavy movies are right around the corner. You have, you know, the prequels have just been starting off and pushing digital technology, and then the Lord of the Rings coming out. You have all yeah, this Matrix stuff right too. around yeah. the corner. Yeah, the Matrix had just come out, so it's you know, you all this stuff is happening. So you see X Men trying to kind of find its balance in that world and trying to give you something new, but it's, you know, it, it was a limited budget. They could only do so much. And it's, it's a, that not only that, but the movie is so short. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> it goes by in a flash. And there are times where you feel like uh, it, it almost goes by too fast. Like, especially there are moments like um, the, the montage of professor X kind of walking wolverine through the mansion and it feels very like and here's the vacation tour of the xavier's mansion but it all goes by so quickly and you realize there's so many plot points being thrown at you i i get i don't know if you got this sense but i kind of get the sense of like the studio really like okay now now brian we really need this to be an hour and 45 minutes can you just throw a couple edit some things really quickly together, throw some music on it, and cut together a bunch of these scenes so it's just a bunch of plot points thrown at you all at once. It it, it did feel very much like Singer was not only trying to tell his story, but also working with the studio and trying to get them to on to understand and to to really go with what he was he was doing, but also working within the limitations of what they wanted, considering the fact that like they were probably like, okay, you you want to make a serious superhero movie? I, all right, let's see how this works. Fingers crossed. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think it. You're right. Uh, I think the length ends up working for this movie, um, mainly because most mm. of the plot points come across. Uh, we watched this, uh, my wife and I, with a, a friend of ours. It's actually my co-host on Cinema Stories, and she has never seen any X Men movies before. This was her first one. So she was introduced to X-Men through <laughs> this series and and through this movie, and it was interesting to watch her react to all these things because she doesn't know what Wolverine can do. So when he flies out the window right. of his uh, you know, trailer, she's like, he's dead already? What? It's Hugh Jackman. How's he already dead? And yeah, you can't kill Hugh exactly. Jackman. Exactly. And so, like the but but then you know the movie did I think a pretty good job most of the time of answering the questions that she ended up having about things. And so, um, it was interesting watching it through her eyes. So I I think this movie still holds up because she ended up really enjoying it and wanting to see the others because of her experience here. And I think anytime you watch a superhero movie. Um, that's 18 years old to have somebody be like, Oh, I want to watch the next one now. That's a good thing. I can't believe 18. I, I, you telling me that is, is dating me so hard right now. Cause I, I have such strong memories of this movie being released and seeing it in theaters. I was, man, I think I was 13. It was 2000. So yeah. I, yeah, I was I was I was just going into middle school and I I 
it's fun. so were you were you like an x-men fan growing up at all like how big were uh, you into th- see X-Men? that's the thing uh yeah let's talk a little bit about some history um i think that's a great time for me okay. so uh i was not an x-men fan so this is how i got to know the x-men was this okay. movie um i didn't read the x-men i didn't grow that's up the same for yeah, me yeah. i didn't grow up reading the comics so uh, just getting into the X-Men, this was my gateway into, honestly, to Marvel. And because, you know, we hadn't had any of the Marvel Studios films yet. And so um, this was my entry into that. Yeah, me too. I was, uh, I, it was funny because, you know, I'd watched the cartoon show a little bit and it hadn't really made a huge impact on me. But I don't know, there was something about, I was a huge Superman fan, and I loved those movies, and I, I liked watching the Batman movies, and I, I don't know. There was something about when a comic book became a movie, to me, that felt like, oh, now it's legitimate. Yeah. Now it's a real <laughs> thing. It means something. You know, it's funny. And then I could go back and appreciate the comics, but for me, until it's a movie, I can't, like, I almost don't believe it. It, it doesn't exist for me until it's a movie. So... When they announced it and when I started seeing trailers and posters for it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that that looks really cool. And um, like you, I was not into the X-Men that much, but the the movie was my introduction. And it was it was just so I, I, I just remember feeling like going into that movie and feeling like it was the first time I was so pumped up to see a movie that it was just I it was and again, you know, then you kind of had Spider-Man a couple years later, but X-Men really, that was the first time I can, I, I was buying like the the books. I used to have all the action figures. It was ridiculous. I think they got packed away and put somewhere. I don't know where they are, but I used to have everything. And I, I just went nuts. And I remember that was one of the first movies where I really kind of let myself geek out and get really excited for it. Yeah, it's funny because for me, I was I'm a little bit older, and so I was in uh, college at the time, and you know by that mm. point uh, we had had the special editions, the prequels, um, the Matrix had come out. So for me, I'm I'm really finding my geek groove. Like my Star Wars fandom's huge, my yeah. Star Trek fandom's huge. Um, you know, I'm starting to branch out into other things. I'm a huge Superman fan as well. Um, you know, I had liked uh, the Batman films, um, but I I like everybody else. You know, Batman and Robin came around. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done with this. And then this <laughs> comes out, and it just kind of blows me away that like, oh, this is what they can do with a comic book thing. And I think it's so interesting because there's some other history here I wanted to just ask you quickly about, you know, because there's some interesting yeah. names attached to the idea of trying to do a uh, X-Men film and early uh, late 80s early 90s uh, Stan Lee's actually talking to James Cameron to produce an X-Men film with Catherine Bigelow to direct can you imagine that would have I I I can't like I I don't even know what that would have been <laughs> what that would have been just thinking about it I, I would love to see it. I would love to to be in an alternate. If I could just go to an alternate universe where that movie happened, I would definitely do that because I can't imagine what that would have been like. Because you know, Catherine Bigelow, what had she done at that point? Point Break. So would it have been like more of a kind of macho action movie? I, it's so, and James Cameron. I I I mean, I love James Cameron, but he definitely. When I think of like his movies, they kind of had this sort of 
meathead mentality to some of them. I know that Aliens technically, you know, Ripley's the lead and you have a female lead there, but so many of his movies like, you know, Terminator, it's just very like one-liners and big action and sometimes kind of clunky dialogue and performances and not all that grounded, but uh I can't imagine what that would have looked like. I, 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 I'm, I'm so curious. Part of me wishes we had gotten that. Yeah, I, when I think back, like I, I just don't know what that would have been. the The biggest thing for me is that Angela Bassett was being considered for the role of Storm, which I, th- right. I think would have been phenomenal. Um, so that would have been great. And uh, so as they go through the the you know, the process and everything, um, they get to this point where they have some other writers. You've got somebody like John Logan who worked on the script mm-hmm. uh, and Joss Whedon. In fact, uh, Joss Whedon dips his toe into the comic book field here and uh, a couple of his scenes made it into the finished movie. Uh, Michael Chambon, who, famous author, um, actually had also pitched um, a, a script and everything. So I was gonna say, are Whedon are Whedon's scenes anything to do with the the Statue of Liberty when they're like joking with each other and they're when Wolverine's like, oh wait, it's me, and Cyclops goes prove it, and <laughs> I have a feeling the quippy dialogue might be Whedon's leftover. I think I think that might be where those come from. They actually rejected most of his stuff, though, because, and get this, it was because it was too quick-witted pop culture referency tone. <laughs> That's too funny. But it's true. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't do that with this movie. You couldn't have that. It wouldn't work. Well, and, and let's, you know... That's something that, too, I think, you know, when we're kind of looking at this history, our history and the film's history... Um, when I'm thinking back, you know, I think the best comic book movies to me are the ones that don't do that too much because then you date yourself. And one of the things that this mm. film did pretty well is it didn't feel super dated. Um, you know, I I could tell it's in the early 2000s because of some of the technology, but then the technology they extrapolated for the X-Men and everything felt good and felt pretty realistic for the most part. Uh, and still something that would fit in continuity with where we are today. And the moment you start to put a specific pop culture reference, that that may or may not age very well. Um, and so, I don't know. I right, think they may... Right. I, I think, it, to me, comic book movies that don't do that too much make the best choice because then you have the ability to have a movie that can be watched for many generations to come, hopefully, and people still get the jokes other than them having to be like, well, I guess I should Google that because I don't know what that means. Right. It's it's kind of a crutch when you have to rely on pop culture references. Uh, and they work for me sometimes. You know, I, I, I this is not, I'm not trying to knock Joss Whedon, everybody. I oh, yeah, me either. Avengers. I just, I, I think like it's Joss interesting that, you know, so, yeah. But I, it is, it is a very good point. And it's, it's very, to me, kind of some of the weakest moments in this movie are kind of the jokes they do. Like when I, I, you know, I think it's funny, but it is kind of like out of place. Like when he, when he kills the metal detector and then he flips it off with his claw, it feels a little juvenile and it it doesn't feel justified by his character or Cyclops character. When they start kind of joking around in those moments, it, it feels a little out of place to me. And it's not that it bothers me, but it does feel like 
this movie has done such a, a, a it's gone overboard to be so serious. I guess they felt that by the ending, they're like, okay, we've earned some a little bit more lighthearted stuff and some humor. But to me, that stuff stands out as a bit more glaring and a bit. It def, it definitely feels a bit kind of uh, dated to me. That kind of yeah. humor. So, Sean, one of the interesting things I think too uh, about what this movie does, and it, I think it obviously references what we got. Richard Donner doing with Superman, where you get some big names to influence the film uh, and the casting and show, hey, comic book movies can have good actors in it too. You know, we we don't have to just, it's not, just because it's a comic book movie doesn't mean we can't have big people in it. So I wanted to ask you about this cast. I mean, some huge names with like Patrick Stewart, uh, you know, amazing mm-hmm. actor of stage and, you know, a small screen, big screen. Uh Ian McKellen, obviously, you know, um, somebody like Bruce Davison, you know, these people. And then, of course, you had newcomers like Hugh Jackman, never done a film before. Um, You know, uh, Famke Jensen, who had only done, like, small indie films. Um, Yeah, and she'd been in uh, Goldeneye at this point as well. So that was the thing I knew her from. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, You know, Anna Paquin. So uh, what are some of the performances here that stood out to you as, man, just still totally hold up and fantastic and was there anybody you're like eh. i i mean i love I, I think this ensemble is one of the strongest in any superhero movie and i, I think the most impressive performance for me is obviously hugh jackman because considering this was his first role how like perfectly he embodies that role i think everyone felt like even if certain characters weren't like yeah i wish it was a little bit more like this i wish rogue was a little bit more powerful i wish this was a little more like you know whatever i feel like they captured the essences so well and especially with uh with hugh jackman as wolverine i think he was the one who stood out the most to me cyclops has always been my favorite so i loved james marsden i i thought he was really perfect it's kind of the the sort of stiff boy scout and um I, I mean, Professor X, I don't think there was... When they cast Patrick Stewart, I was like, well, duh, who else would you cast in that role? There, There is nobody else who could play Professor X. Um, so it just felt... Like, it all felt so right. And I hadn't seen Ian McKellen in anything before. Uh, I know Brian Singer had worked with him, I think, in Apt Pupil. But um, that was the first time I'd yeah. seen him. And then I saw him in Lord of the Rings the, the following year. And it was just like, oh, Ian McKellen, I love you. Um, but he's so good. And I... I again these are great actors. They're not like it's not just the look of them. It's it's they're all really fantastic. I I love I think Ray Park is great as Toad and uh Tyler Maine who doesn't he's a man of few words but he's an imposing presence and he he gets the job done. Really the only person and this goes across the board. I think maybe X-Men 2 might be the only exception. The and I I put the X an exception there, <laughs> but I uh, I think Storm Halle Berry might be the only person who I I don't uh, doesn't work for me. And part of it is the weird accent that disappears in future movies that she she's trying to put on the 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 African accent I guess that Storm has in in the cartoon show, and she clearly gave that up in X Men Two. But uh, she's the only one who really feels awkward to me. Yeah, you know, I, I I totally agree. I feel like everybody here is just fantastic. Like, all of the actors are perfectly cast. And then it's Halle Berry. And it just feels so wrong. Um, and not because <laughs> Halle Berry is bad or anything. Um, I, I just feel like 
No, she's not. There's no weight to the character. It's tough. It it, it, it it's just the ensemble. It's you got so many people, so many different stories, and so many different characters to balance. Inevitably, the three who kind of get the least development are Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Storm because they are already pretty much established off screen. We're introduced to them through Rogue and Wolverine, but their relationships already exist. They already have their established characters. So they're kind of the the least developed because of that. Jean Grey gets a nice little arc where she's kind of, I don't know if I can control my powers, blah, blah, blah. And then she kind of has that moment with Cerebro. But for the most part, they're, I think James Marsden just gets the benefit of of being so good as Cyclops and being so perfect. And he just looks the role and he just has that confident swagger of that like, that kind of <laughs> almost obnoxious Boy Scout behavior. But I really think with Halle Berry, the, the downside of it is is the awkwardness and kind of the, the simplicity of the character, the lack of development. But then just the accent. The accent is what kills it. It really just throws everything off. I think it's it was not a bad decision to get rid of it in the next movie. <laughs> One question uh, before we leave the actors, uh, because I think really, honestly, sure. they're so fantastic. But um, Russell Crowe was actually Singer's first choice. And he he says, no, I'll recommend my friend Hugh Jackman. But could you, like, Russell Crowe, I feel like, wow. could have been a cool Wolverine. <laughs> that would have been insane. I feel like he is Wolverine in real life. Like, I feel like somewhere he's like out in the jungle running around and like stabbing people with his, his, his knife knuckles. But that, I mean, I, I can see it. I can see that working, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad we got Hugh Jackman and I'm sure Hugh Jackman is glad they got Hugh Jackman. Yes. That's what kick started his <laughs> career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm glad we got Hugh Jackman too. One, because I feel like, uh, in the end he's, he's become a consummate star, uh, but just also somebody that I mm. truly look up to, which I don't say that very often about anyone in the Hollywood limelight, but yeah. Hugh Jackman is one of those guys that, you know, he's just a good dude. He's a really good guy and uh, treats his family well, treats his wife well, treats everybody he works with well, uh, does not seem to take what he's gotten for granted at all. Um, and, uh, you know, um, one of the few people who's been like, you know what, it's time to let a character go. Um, so, uh, yeah, just to really respect the guy. Um, one of the, the, the interesting things, so I watched some of the extras that I'd, I'd never really sat down and watched them. And they were talking about this idea of like uh, being Malcolm X versus MLK Jr. And how, you know, in comic books, in a lot of ways, X-Men feels a little bit more like Star Trek than it does Star Wars. Um, because it's, yeah. it's, you know, it, it has a very much a social conscience. And I thought that was a fascinating idea of looking at this film between Magneto and Professor X as Malcolm X and, you know, MLK Jr. And their classic battle for how are we going to get civil rights? What's the most effective way for getting our point across? And it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this movie sets that up absolutely 100% perfectly and it's a real service to the movie how well the story still stands up by using that as like the basis for these characters oh totally and that was that was so uh 
such when I when I saw this, even as a kid, I recognized that I saw that uh, illusion when I started reading about it, the metaphor and what they were kind of going for with that relationship. It was like, oh, yeah, that's perfect. And you start to go back and you read about the history of the X-Men in the comics and how that was purposefully done. So you, you, these comics were coming out during the civil rights movement in the 1960s. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you needed uh, to get across to people. And you, you, without having to come out and say it, you could just show these kinds of messages to kids in a way that was, you know, they're reading about it and they might not fully grasp it, but you can get that message of equality and tolerance across without, you know, being too obvious about it. It's something Star Trek did really well. It's something science fiction, the genre has been known for through the years of being able to relay these important messages, but not in a way that is like, so they won't get censored or people won't be like, wait a second, you're not trying to tell us to tolerate each other, are you? But that's what the brilliance of these comics were. And um, I just think, and even just on a dramatic level, it's so much more interesting to have these two arch enemies be best friends. Like it just, it adds so much to the dynamic of their relationship and, uh, you see that a lot in, in you know, I, I don't know if Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were necessarily best friends, but that same dynamic is here. And it, it's it's a beautiful thing, and it really lends it an air of sophistication, and, uh, and it just adds layer upon layer, and you can get a lot out of this movie. Even, it, it's just, there's, there's, it works on so many levels. You know, I, I think that that's something that I really liked about the movie. Because, again, as we talked about earlier, you know, the way that you you use that scene of the Holocaust and, you know, Eric being, you know, taken away from his parents. And you use that as, you know, then kind of um, we don't ever see them show the civil rights. But, you know, the civil rights movement really tapping into that idea of you know, just because we have different skin color doesn't mean that we're different. You don't have to be afraid of us, you know, and just because you don't mm. necessarily understand us doesn't mean we're something to fear. And this whole idea of like, do you actually know a mutant? Like, have you ever met one? Have you talked to one? You know, yeah. what are they like? You know, and, and this, this whole thing and that, you know, MLK uh, uh, being so much about the desire to peacefully show people hey, we're just like you. We just deserve to be treated just like you. Um, and the, that Professor X feels right. that same way. And of course, you know, it's it's completely understandable why, you know, Magneto feels differently because he's seen a whole other side mm -hmm. of human existence. And one of the worst portrayals of, of what humans can be and what humans can do. And so because of that, um, it shows how much experience can change a person and make a person, but it yeah. also shows, I think, and, and this is something we'll talk throughout the series because once we get there, uh, Magneto does finally in the future come around. And then he yeah. he, he yeah. Um, is sorrowful at the fact that it took so long for him to see what Charles was saying. Um because he also helps, you know, we'll talk about it. He, he helps bring down uh, humankind on mutants forever. Um, and what happens in right. the future past. We'll get there. But I just, again, I think what it's, it's so saying is that, uh, and, and the movie beautifully points out, is that just because somebody treats you a certain way 
doesn't mean your retaliation has to be in kind. And Professor X really showing that, I think, is beautiful. Not that he won't protect his students. He says that at the very end. But his goal is to, to, to make sure that people understand, hey, we're just people like you, and all we want is to be treated with the same dignity and respect, the, you know, the God-given dignity and respect that you guys have. So, um, and I think that's sure. a really beautiful message for the movie. And again, I think it's a cool thing because like Star Trek, um, it, it does use the medium to help show us and teach us a very important lesson. Definitely. So do you, do you say... You, so you understand Magneto, but you'd say you definitely side more with Professor X's point of view as far as, like, it's about tolerance, it's about understanding and working together and not trying to draw a line and oppose each other. For me, I, I've definitely been more on that side. Um, and mainly because, you know, I, mm. you know, I do feel like there is a, there's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Um, and there are, there are those moments where those things do have to happen. But... Many times, one side rising up against another violently just creates a, a cycle of more violence, and um, so the the basically the MLK Jr. way I think is uh, of willful living in front of others and um, peaceful demonstration and asking for change through the system is is the best way to start you know and and so uh, yeah i tend to fall more on the side of of professor x in that you know i think i I think too you know history falls on the side of a professor x now does that mean we shouldn't have fought hitler in world war ii no again that's what i just said i think there's a time for war and there is a time for peace there is sometimes where that is the only answer because that's the only way that person would be, I mean, otherwise you're going to be living under their thumb, you know? So I think there's the nuance here yeah. in the conversation, but the way that X-Men frames this is in that context of those two gentlemen and how they went about the debate on the most effective way of getting their point across of civil rights. And so I, I just think it makes for an effective story. And like you said, you know, it's great because kids watching this or reading this uh, and throughout their comics, it, it is a good message and it helps us start to think about those ideas. Um, and it gives us a context to be able to talk about them in a, maybe in a little bit more safe way with each other. Uh, yeah. So, which is cool, I think, you know, and that's what the best stories do. So, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, real quick before we kind of get to some ratings, but how do you feel like the movie holds up, you know, 18 years, how does this one hold Mm. up for you? I still I still love this movie. I have a lot of friends who kind of knock it for like, oh, it's too serious, it's a little slow, it's not as exciting as the other ones are. And I, I agree, it's not my favorite of the franchise. Uh, that will go to X-Men 2. But I think this is such a strong debut, and it's even more fascinating 18 years later for me to go back and watch kind of the birth of the superhero movie or the rebirth of the superhero movie and to see how simple it was, to see how they were trying desperately to to give some credibility back to this genre, that's fascinating to me. And I, I think the movie, in terms of, of 
the drama and the story and the characters, it works on all those levels for me. Honestly, the only level that doesn't hold up as well for me is the action and the special effects. Those those are fine to me, but it's not why I enjoy this movie. And it's funny to say that about a superhero movie. Usually those things go hand in hand. But for X-Men, this first one, I feel like its strongest moments tend to be character moments. And uh, it feels quaint and it feels simple and it almost feels innocent. And and, and that's why I love going back to rewatch it time and time again, because I love to go back and remember a time before you had to watch 50 movies to be caught up on a story on a storyline or you know watch a tv show and play a video game and all these things x-men was just like it was a story well told it did its thing and uh it it did it really well and it was before uh superhero movies had to be a certain way um i love watching it just for that time capsule element and i i think it's still a really really solid effort that holds up today yeah i i think um i think it holds up too and i think that um, the best thing that it does is that it just tells its story and it doesn't, it's not beholden to anything else. And obviously this is before, you know, the huge Marvel success and all of that kind of stuff that we got. Um, so people kind of feel like they're pigeonholed into doing it one way. Um, you know, they're just making this up as they go in the sense of this is how we want to tell our story. And they do that wholeheartedly. And I think that's one of the things that really works. Um, and they're not trying to throw in more jokes or anything like that. And I think, again, everything about the film feels very organic and it's deliberate and it's focused and it's um, slow when it needs to be slow. It gives you plot when it needs to give you plot and it does the action when it needs to have the action. But everything has a purpose and a meaning behind it. There isn't anything superfluous in the film. And I think that's the reason that this film actually holds up so well. I was really surprised watching this the other night and how much I was enjoying the story. And yes, I think you're absolutely right. You know, this is kind of a more simple feel. Um, it does feel more, uh, uh, I guess, simplistic by the sense of what we kind of think of with some of the films that we've gotten superhero-wise. But I think that there's a mm. beauty in that because yeah. in that simplicity, there's a real focus in the story. And you don't get lost in the story or you don't ever feel like, oh, well, why is that in there? Like, oh, that doesn't work. You know, I don't really feel like a lot of those things don't work because there isn't extraneous time for them to explore lots of other things. They know exactly what they've got to do, how to get these characters across and all of that. And I think that's what makes this movie hold up. You know, some of the effects are, are a little bit cheesy sometimes. Um, some of the action feels... Definitely of its time, but I don't think it's bad uh, in any way. It just isn't what we're used to now. No, yeah, we're we're just overwhelmed with the the bombardment of. And it, again, this is. I know it sounds like we're knocking these movies, and we're really not. But you know, it is it is nice and refreshing to go back to something so simple when you 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 forget how effective storytelling is when it's just like that was the movie and that it wasn't about sequel baiting or setting up another character's movie or anything like that. The X-Men movie, the first one uh, was self-contained and even X-Men two, even though it plugs a sequel is still self-contained. And 
that's the beauty of this film. And, it, it, you know, I got to give credit to Brian Singer for for sticking to his guns and making it. And it's beautifully shot. It looks amazing. There's a sophistication to his his technique. And there's some really, really beautiful shots in this movie that I, uh, I, I, I come back to time and time again, thinking about, like, how to add gravitas to a scene. And you really see the difference. I mean, when you when you compare this to X-Men 3, um, I know who we're knocking that. I, apologies to anyone who enjoys that movie. I'm so sorry. But uh, you, you notice the difference when they switch directors from Singer to Ratner. Uh, there is a difference and there is a level of sophistication. There is a level of thought to these to the film and the, the, th- the shots and everything that goes behind it. And uh, I, I mean, I have to give credit to Singer for doing that. And uh, I think he brings his game to a whole new level for, for the second one. No, I absolutely agree. And I think, um, you know, if I if I was going to rate this film, I'd say that this is still a good that's three point seven five out of five. Because mm. Yeah, I, that's that's I solid. feel like it totally holds up. I don't know. Where are you on that? I'd 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 go probably I'd round up to a four. Um I think it's a it's a okay. strong movie. It still works for me. I have a lot of I have a lot of nostalgia tied into this movie, so I think part of that plays into it. But I, I really, really enjoy it, uh, and and I think it, I, I, it just impresses me watching it time and time again how it still holds up and how it still works, and uh, it's still, I mean, the the stuff that still works still makes makes it a good movie for me. I, I even even with all the new technology, even with everything we've seen, even with better movies i still think x-men holds a candle i know i 100 percent agree with that um i i highly encourage you if you haven't seen this one in a while go back and watch it because i think you're gonna enjoy the experience and part of it is one of the things that you touched on that i really liked you know it is nice to be in a film franchise where you didn't have to watch 20 movies to kind of understand you know, what was going on. Um, <laughs> right. or, like you said, they're not just trying to build into this already at this point. Oh, well, we're going to have this character go here and this sequel go there and, and, and all of that. No, they're just trying to craft the best story that they can here at the time. And then they'll mm. worry about all that stuff later. And I feel like it's actually what the, um, the, the planet, of the apes films did recently, uh, in the last few years, where they did the same thing, it it wasn't necessarily yeah. about trying to plan the sequel. They're just trying to tell the best dang movie they can now. And if you like it, well, hopefully we'll get to do a sequel, and we'll have written ourselves into a corner, and we'll really have to think of how to how to get out of it um, because we did everything we could yeah. in, in the last movie. And I kind of feel like you know Brian Singer, they just put the pedal to the metal and they make the best film that they can here. Because they want it to work, and then when they get to that next movie, they're okay. What are we gonna do with this one? You know, and um, I really feel yeah. like each time that that Singer creates one of these movies, I do feel like that he is not necessarily thinking about the future. He is thinking about the now, and. I feel like in mm-hmm. filmmaking and in a genre filmmaking, that's probably the best thing you can do because you need this now to be successful for there to be a then. And so yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel like, you know, um, 
they do that here and they get it right. And so I'm really glad that we decided to to talk about this uh, film franchise, these films. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about X2, uh, X uh, First Class, Days of Future Past, and then di- digging into, because we've already talked about Apocalypse, uh, the um, uh, X-Men... I'm really looking forward to, of course, then talking about uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix to see where they end up taking uh, the the kind of the fruition of all of these stories and see what happens. So, um, But yeah. Yeah. really want to thank uh, our associate producers here through Patreon. Uh, thank you so much to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for continually supporting the 602 Club and the network. Um, it means so much to me that they've been uh, associate producers here on the show for so long, but... What they do through Patreon is so important because Trek FM is just a huge network and there's no way that we can make it come to you each and every week without your help. So patreon.com slash trekfm is where you can go and you can support each and every month this network and make sure all the content keeps coming to you. We have many different ways we love giving back to you, so make sure you check it out. Uh, It's patreon.com slash trekfm, believe me. Every little bit a month helps, so be part of our team and see what you can do to help make sure all the great content here at Trek FM keeps coming to you. Um, Sean, really fun to have you on the show this week and to have you in for the first time. I'm excited to cover the rest of the X-Men films with you, but uh, let everybody know, since this is your first time here, uh, where can everybody find you uh, if they want to uh, you know, talk about how great your appearance was on the show? Well, that would be very kind of you, and I welcome all praise in my name. I appreciate it. No, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dorman. I would love to hear from you. I love chatting about the X-Men movies. This is seriously one of my favorite franchises. And I also am on The Nerd Party. I have a podcast on there called Missing Frames, where we watch movies we probably should have seen by this point in our lives. You can check that out. And uh, it's thenerdparty.com slash missingframes. And other than that, I'm around. You can find me. You'll see me at uh, Dark Phoenix when that comes out later this year. So, yeah, if you're, I'll be in your theater. That's kind of creepy. I don't know how that will work out, but uh, just just roll with it. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, uh, definitely uh, follow Sean there on uh, the old uh, Twitter and uh, check out Missing Frames because you're gonna love it. Um, you'll you'll hear some some folks that you've heard on Trek FM on the show too, like John Mills or uh, people like that. So um, you're gonna want to check out that show. You can find me on Twitter, Matt Rushing Zero Two. I am also here on the network uh, doing. The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I am on the Nerd Party Network with our good friend John Mills as we're talking about Star Wars each and every week over on Aggressive Negotiations. You could find me on Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter. We're going through each and every chapter of the series, and in fact, we are almost done with Prisoner of Azkaban. We have one more chapter there, so it's a perfect time to join if you've just started reading the books or you've been reading them for years. Uh, and then last but not least, as I mentioned, I've got my uh, co-host Courtney over there on Cinema Stories as we talk all about film through the lens of faith. And uh, we have a blast talking through movies uh, that way. So if you're interested, check out all those shows that I or Sean does over on Apple Podcasts, or you can get them wherever you get your podcasts. But thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back down here. Here.